0: So Mark chapter four, verse 35. On that day when evening had come, Jesus said to them, let's go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern asleep on the cushion. who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Um, we were going to be doing two stories today, but we just we, when Jesus walks on water, we're doing that tonight. So if you want to come to St. George tonight, otherwise you could listen on the podcast to hear the second part of this. But um, just completely out of interest, uh, one of the commentaries I read on this said, the story here has all the characteristics of an eyewitness. Whoever told this story saw it happen because there's all this detail in there which is not necessary for the story. The bits about the time of night, there were other boats, the way the waves were swamping the boat, the cushion that Jesus went to sleep on and the terror of disciples. It's like this is told by someone who was there. Just out of interest. Okay, I'm going to pray. Father, we thank you for your word, and uh, we pray that as we read, as we think, as we have meditations on that word today, that you, by your spirit, would bring us life, that you would bring us conviction, that you would bring us joy, Father, that you would change us, and we pray this in Jesus' name, Amen. Okay, Jesus had been teaching a great deal of people, a multitude on the shore, and then he says, let's cross over to the other side. There's a new group of people we need to mission to, I guess, there. Um, so I'm told, i read this on the internet, so that makes it a 50% chance of being true. The um, Sea of Galilee uh, is um, about 10 kilometres by 20 kilometres. And uh, it's surrounded by a big mountain range, and apparently it's kind of like a place where often storms uh, come up violently, Uh, they come and they go uh, like that. And the wind is always stronger in the afternoon, Uh, so uh, the fishermen fishermen go out at night time, come home in the mornings while it's relatively calm. So storms at the night time are actually quite rare. And if you get a storm at night, they're very, very bad. They're not like these ones that uh, quickly come and go. They are a really serious event. And that's what happened here. Um, It says the waves were breaking over the side of the boat. Um, Just a grip, present continuous tense. Waves are coming over, one after the other. And the boat is filling up with water. It was sinking. Along with that, a great windstorm. The Greek word for that is a gale. So we're not talking about a gentle breeze with the waves. We're talking about very, very strong winds. Jesus was asleep. Apparently in the back of the boat where the bloke holding the rudder steers from, he sat on a cushion generally. So when it says the cushion, that was the cushion that was in the boat. And Jesus was asleep with his head on that. And this was a severe storm. At least we're told four of the blokes, Andrew and Peter, James and John, were experienced fishermen. They knew how to drive boats. And if those four experienced fishermen call out something like, don't you care that we're all about to die? That means it's a serious storm. This is not just a a kind of an average sort of thing. The boat is sinking, the gale is blowing, and a fair assessment is we are all about to die. And that's fair. Jesus awoke, doesn't even say if he got up, really, actually. I know in all the movies he stands out and does things like this. He just doesn't even have that. Uh, just says, he awoke and rebuked, I, I guess he sat up, <laughs> and rebuked the wind, And said to the sea, peace, be still. And instantly there is a great calm, perfect stillness, there is flat water, there is not a breath of wind. That's incredible, isn't it? It, I don't know if you have those moments in your life where where you get the tingles down your spine, uh, those moments where the hair stands up and you go... What's just happened here is incredibly powerful. This was one of those times. Um, I, I just, there are lots of times in the Old Testament where it talks about events such as these with calming of winds and waves. And I'm going to read you one from Psalm 65, verse 5. It says, By awesome deeds you answer us with righteousness, O God, of our salvation, the hope of all the ends of the earth and the farthest seas. The one who by his strength established the mountains being girded with might, who stills the roaring seas, the roaring of their waves, the tumult, tumult of the peoples, so that those who dwell at the ends of the earth are in awe at your signs. This is talking about the sovereign God Almighty who can calm the seas. What's different here in this story is this is talking about a man, Jesus, who's in the back of the boat having to sleep because he's tired and he calms the seas. Can you see what that says? Almighty, sovereign God who can calm the seas, Jesus is Almighty and sovereign God. He is the Son of God. That's, that's incredible, isn't it? Yep. With two words, two words in Greek, three in English, that's okay. Quiet, be still. He speaks and it happens. He acts and that, that Psalm said he is the God of our salvation. He acts and salvation comes from the people. He saved the people that night. He saved the disciples, didn't he? They were facing a certain death. They knew that. The same word he actually says, be silent, is what he said to the demon. So when he says to the waves and the wind, he doesn't say stop blowing. He basically says, I don't want to be too colloquial, but he says, shut up or be quiet. Stop. But it's, uh, he speaks. The, the Greek word kind of means be muzzled. Put the Hand over your mouth. That's what it means. That's what he said to a violent windstorm. Um, it's almost like, you see, I don't know. I, I know people do crazy things in Christendom and start talking to inanimate objects and stuff, but, um, but that's not really right, is it? It's almost like, but Jesus here, he actually speaks to a storm. It's as if this here is a storm which is an enemy. That's right. some people would actually say the devil was behind this storm. And you go, can the devil do that? Well, at the start of Job, dead, uh, Job uh, the devil sends a windstorm that kills all Job's family. So would it be right that the devil actually is out to kill the son of God and his disciples? Well, yeah. I'm not saying that for definite, but uh, who's he speaking to? In any case... Two words from the Son of God and there's complete calm. That's, that's a big thing. And then Jesus rebukes the disciples for their lack of faith. It's why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? I don't know if you realise how, how often in the, the stories of Jesus, whether it's healing or whatever, he always is pointing things back to faith. Why is that? Because faith is cent- central for the believer. That's what we most need. Anyway, he rebukes them because of their fear. They are in terror. And he brings them, I would think, a fairly harsh rebuke. (laughs) Where's your faith? We're about to die. And you're saying, where's your faith? Yeah. But you see, why such a hard rebuke? Well, in one sense, you see, Jesus was talking to the disciples who were the insiders. He'd said that all along. You were the insiders in the kingdom. To you, the secrets have been given. He said that with the parables. And then it says, and Jesus privately explained everything to his disciples. So he's been talking to his disciples. They know. So he's like, where's your faith? I've been telling you. You understand? Uh, They they should have known. They should have seen his power. They know that he's the king. It's basically saying, do you still not trust me enough to save you? do you still think I'm not going to save you? Do you still believe that I don't have the power and that I don't really care for you? Is that what you're saying to me? Do you understand? Where's your faith? Do you believe that I'm the God who saved? And then it says they were filled with great fear. So basically they've gone from fear to fear, haven't they? Incredible fear that we're about to die, but now they've got a great fear. The fear of God. A more important fear, isn't it? Um, in, Jesus said in Matthew ten twenty eight, and this is very important. Do not fear those who can kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. And and, and if you want to know, the word fear in the first sentence and the word fear in the second sentence is the same word. It's phobos, fear. And it means fear. So he's saying, don't fear the one who can kill your body. Fear the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. There's one to be afraid of. Do you understand that? There are great forces... Powerful forces at work in this world today. People, we're going to be doing the revelation over next year, we're going to hear that the powers of darkness behind the scenes in this world are stirring up a lot of trouble. Deep issues, great forces, worldly powers gathering together, nations rising against nations. There are great powers at work in this world, forces that will threaten our lives, not to mention sickness and death. Sometimes, even in the forces of nature, the powers of darkness are driving these. And one thing we know, we have no control over any of those things I just told you about. The great forces in this world, we have no power over. Unless we become a politician and change the world, like every (laughs) teenager wants to do. We still have no power over them. We are not in control. Now, so often, and it really, it does irk me slightly, that people will say, they'll tell the story of Jesus' calm and storm, and then they'll say, this is the story that will teach you what you can do too. How many people, how many Christians have you seen calm in storms? Honestly. Oh, rubbish. This is a story that tells you what Jesus can do. The all-sovereign God. Do you get that? This is a story that tells you to trust, have faith, where is your faith? Have to trust in the God who's in control in very real and dangerous situations in life. And if you put it together with that verse from Matthew 10, 28, it doesn't, it's not a story that says it's always going to work out good in the end. It's a story that tells you that Jesus calmed the storm for him and the disciples. Do you understand that? It's not saying, and no storm can harm you. Because it said, do not fear those who kill the body. In other words, there are those who can kill the body. There are forces in this world that can kill the body. Whether it be other people, whether it be cancer, whether it be whatever. Okay, These powers can. They can sink our boats all the way down. These are powers that are too strong for us. So when the sovereign God who is all-wise and all-knowing and all-purposing when he we know that he has plans for us right we can be overtaken by these forces but he cannot because he says these forces cannot kill the soul they cannot kill the soul okay so even if it be his will that those ones kill the body, that's not the end of the story. Can you see what I'm saying here? Don't look at God's sovereignty in a worldly point of view. God's sovereign, so it's all going to be lovely for me. It doesn't work like that. He is to be feared above all else. He alone is sovereign. Now, I preached one time on the sovereignty of God, and and, um, uh, God is sovereign in in his choice and the way that things happen in this world. And a, a pastor who was there came up afterwards and says, but yes, yes, but you understand that there's different hermeneutical principles. You all know what that means. Um, no. There's different ways of interpreting the Bible about some things, which is absolutely true, right? Some of the Bible you can't just take literally, it means different things. You need to use a hermeneutical principle to use a big word. However, the sovereignty of God and his wisdom in doing things the way he wants, I would say, is the clearest doctrine, if I hold this up in the Bible, from the time that he created the world without even asking us for permission to the time he's going to have judgment day at the end and he's going to judge without our wisdom. And then he's going to bring the new heavens and the new earth in his plan. And every bit in between is full of his sovereignty. Yet there are some doctrines which are kind of up for grabs. The sovereignty of God is not one of those. It is the clearest doctrine in all of Scripture. Do you get that? God's in control and he knows what he's doing. Do you believe that? On judgment day, imagine saying to God, well, my hermeneutical principle says that you haven't got the right to do this if you're not that sort of God. Anyway, that's that's kind of humour. He is to be feared above all else. That's what this is saying. They will feel with a great fear. When you're faced with an impossible situation, when the powers and forces are far and beyond you, fear him. Where is your faith? Do you really trust him? Do you understand? They will fill with a new fear, and this is a good fear. But it's not a calm fear. It's like it's terror, but now there's a terror with a different sort. It's a it's a it's a real fear with a revelation. And for them, right then, this man is God Almighty. Right? And suddenly, the most dangerous thing that could happen is that you could be under His wrath. Making sense? A few years ago, uh, must be about ten. Nine. I was cleaning a swimming pool. You know you get the bugs out. And I was just gone about my work. But while I was doing that, thoughts come to my mind and I became very sinful in my mind. My thoughts were not right with God. And what I failed to see as I was doing this was that a big black thundercloud had come over. And at a moment without without any notice whatsoever was one of those incredible Cracks of thunder. You know those ones that, if you're out, have you been when you're outside in the thunderstorm? And they shake you to the core. That happened like that. And I can tell you at that moment, I was not afraid of being hit by lightning. I was afraid of the living God. I'm not saying he sent it just for me, maybe he did. Just for this sermon illustration. Okay. There's a godly fear. That we need. Turn your hearts back to him. It's good for us. But it's not a tame fear. It's a greater fear. And can you imagine what the church would look like. If we had a greater fear of God. Yeah. How would that affect our laxness? How would that affect our selfishness? How would that affect the pride that infects all of us? If we actually feared God. As he is to be feared. Surely we would stop viewing everything, including the Bible and Jesus, as being all about us. Yeah? There's this, this thing which I really get sick of sometimes in, in, in sermons. People say, yeah, but what does this mean to me? Because that's like the most important thing is what does this mean to me? No, what does this mean about God? Because if what it means about God changes everything, do you understand? That's the question we should ask. Oh, unless it's all about me. Do you get what I'm saying? <clears throat> if we could come to this greater fear of a God who can speak two words and calm a storm, would we not come to him in reverent worship? Not powerly, God is my mate worship, but reverent worship. Not trivial earthly blessings, what do you got for me this week, God? but worship to the all-powerful God and his son, Jesus, the all-powerful God. Okay, now, if you're a Christian today, you are like the disciples. The secret of the kingdom has been given to you. Do you understand that? The Holy Spirit is revealing the blessed truths of God to you. He brings you the gift of holy fear and faith. Do you understand that? If you're not a Christian, then uh, you'll be stuck in the first fear forever and until Judgment Day, and that'll be bad. So, put your faith in Jesus. Um, we have to live at this point where we actually our fear causes us to ask a question. Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? That's the question they ask. It's a good question, isn't it? And faith, the Holy Spirit living in us, who's given us faith, answers that question. Who is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? He's the Christ. He's the son of the living God. That's who he is. He's the saviour who alone can save us from sin and death and hell that Jesus spoke about. This is worth thinking about very deeply. When you pray, right, do you know who you're talking to? Who, who are you talking to? Um, sometimes people say that, don't they? Do you know who you're talking to? When they're trying to big, no, this is someone bigger than you. Do you know who you're talking to? Pilate said that to Jesus. Um, hmm. I have power to crucify you or let you live. Do you know who you're talking to, Jesus? And Jesus said to him, You will have no authority over me unless it had been given to you. Jesus said, You don't know who you're talking to, pal. You've missed it. Okay? Everything that's happening is in my plan, not yours. Okay? Yep. You might have authority to take lives, Pilate, but you don't have any authority that has been given to you. I say it again. When you pray, do you know who you're talking to? Do you realise he is the Father who loves you, who is the Holy Father who you're talking to? He is the God of love who is all powerful and sovereign. We pray to Jesus, or we pray in Jesus' name, and he is the King of all creation and also the one who died for us. He has the power over every force. In this world, we pray through the King of Salvation's name when we pray in Jesus' name. And he's not just salvation from a few small things. He has set us free from an awful, evil power whose power is far stronger than a storm, far too strong for us to ever handle, and that is the power of our sinful hearts. I know we believe we have potential and we have control over our lives and I can just change my mind and choose to do good and stuff like that. You have no power over a sinful heart. We have no power over the thing that will drive us to everlasting death and hell. We have no power over that. We have no power over our sin. It is a fickle and weak and devilish belief that we have power over our own sin. We don't. No thing, I can control my sin. You can't. Jesus said, anyone who sins is a slave to sin, and a slave has no control over his own destiny. Okay? We have no chance of stopping a storm. We have no chance of stopping our own sin. Waves of sin will sink your boat. They will swamp you, and you will sink. So, put your faith in the one who can save us, from this terrible, terrible thing, which is sin. And it's all about him. So we put our trust in him. And having trusted in him, we have a firm hope, whatever we face in life. There's a lot of people in this world, and some of us are like that sometimes, we're actually experienced sailors. We know how to read the events, and we know how to say things like, this situation we're facing now, it's really bad. It's really grave. We, we know when things are going to end in death. We, we actually understand these things. Those sailors weren't dumb. They knew what was going on. The question to ask then is, where is your faith? Okay. Now, if you're thinking this is our kind of, if you know when God tests our faith, he proves our faith with fire, it says, you know, when he's, um, it's, it's easy to think this is God really out to get us. But what God does through this is he purifies us. The disciples, after this storm had been calm, were at a better place. When he said, where is your faith? I think they were probably thinking, I've got more now. Yeah? I, I get this more now than I did before. In, in South Australia, when a bushfire goes through and you've got the mallee trees... And the mallet trees burn off to black. There's nothing there. But they shoot back and they're always bushier and healthier after a fire. Because the fire of proving tests and increases our faith. What I'm saying is don't worry about the the proving that God does. Because we get worried, well, God's going to send us bad things and it's going to be hard to handle. What God's doing is for our good. He's building us up. You see? He's going to flourish us because what are we going to end up like? Through those hardships, we will have more faith in him, more trust in him. We will have a fearful trust in the sovereign God. And when you have a fear of God, you're at a really good place. Because what is the fear of God? The beginning of all wisdom? Actually, it says it started from us, Fear of God is the beginning of all knowledge. So get that knowledge. And then it says a bit later on, fear of God is is the beginning of all wisdom. It's all good. Yeah. Because we know who we're talking to then. Talking to the sovereign God. I'm going to pray. Father, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for your incredible power. And we just want to acknowledge Right up front, you are God Almighty. You have all power. All honour and glory is yours. And Father, we also want to acknowledge that we've often trivialised you. We've used our own brains to make you smaller than you are. And Father, we've put our trust in All sorts of things, but mostly in ourselves. Father, we thank you that when the disciples were in their greatest need, when they were going to die, that Jesus calmed that storm with a couple of words. And we thank you that when we were dead in our sins, you sent your son to die for us that you sent him to take the punishment that was due to us. Father, I pray that you would help us to have faith in Jesus, that you would help us to have faith in your sovereignty when times are hard, when we face things that are far and beyond us. I pray that we would be turning to you again and again. And I pray, Father, that this word that is spoken today, that your Holy Spirit living in each one of us, will cause it to take root and to grow deeply in our lives. Father, as much as we hate it, I pray that your purification would continue to happen in us, that your proving of faith would happen, that we might grow to be strong men and women who mature, in you and in our trust in you in our lives and I pray this in Jesus name Amen